Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, I'm very pleased to be joined by co-founder and head of visualization at Periscopic Studios in Portland, Kim Reese, the one and only. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Great. Love your show, by the way. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. It's a sunny day here in Portland, so... Nice. Well, fall, fall is treating you well so far? So far, so good. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> um, so I thought... Um, we would chat a little bit, uh, kind of open-ended on this episode. I thought we'd chat sort of about the, the future of data visualization um, mm-hmm. and what you and uh, maybe some folks over there at Periscopic are thinking about when it comes to new technologies, new platforms, whether it be mobile or, or tactile things or sound. So, so what, are you, what are you thinking about these days in terms of the, the future of data viz? Yes, that is, that's a fun area to take start thinking about um you know it's it's something that we've been thinking about for a while um you know in our house we got an alexa or you know we call it an alexa when it's actually an echo but no no, it's alexa i wouldn't even say it's it's alexa Alexa. it's just alexa it's just alexa (laughs) siri siri is now alexa to us so we we call everything right just randomly call people we just we just yell (laughs) we just yell at people on the street alexa (laughs) <laughs> Alexa. Alexa. I will say, there is a third grader at my kid's bus stop whose name is Alexa, and I ask her for the weather and the square root of 234, and she doesn't know. So, so beware out there. If your name's Alexa, I may I may ask you questions that you don't know the answer to. That's random. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating to to look at these technologies that are now you know, assisting us in various ways. And, you know, as data visualizer, it's, um, you know, I think about it a lot and where, you know, where is the stuff going and why do we, you know, why do we even need visualization these days? What is, what is the point of it? Are we getting beyond visualization? Have we, have we moved past the need for it? You know, and I think that things like not only voice assistants, but things like AI and machine learning are now sort of, you know, jumping into a realm where, you know, people might skip over data viz and go right into like a more, like a heavier type of analysis to find those insights that they need. Uh, so it's something we've been thinking a lot about. Um, and but I think that there's a space for a, maybe a new way to start thinking about visualization, and it's something that I've been calling just in my own terminology. I've been calling it just in time. Um, visualization or just-in-time data, which is meant to sort of encompass uh, all of those various um, of data services. Uh, and it's something that it's sort of, I think, is, is sort of a natural extension of that uh, sort of that mobile-first mantra that, you know, people have been championing for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, mobile first, mobile first, but now it's really like, you know, it's not mobile first. I don't often go to my phone to find things out. I go to Alexa. I'm standing there. Mm -hmm. I'm washing dishes or I'm getting my kids ready for school or what have you. I don't have the time to go to my phone. (laughs) How absurd that sounds. um, You know, so I think that now it's, you know, the data needs to come to us wherever we are. So it's things like Alexa, things like in-car services, heads-up display, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Things like, you know, I was even talking to someone recently about credit cards and how, 
you know, why should I have to go to my phone to check my balance or, you know, balances of my various cards or things. If I find, you know, like right now I'm on the search for a rain jacket because this is that time of year in Portland. Um, so, you know, when I'm looking at different raincoats, you know, should I buy the $120 coat or can I go for the higher 250 Why can't I just hold my credit card up to the, the tag on a coat and see a visualization of like, okay, this is going to like put you close to your limit or mm. this is going to, Hey, Hey Kim, you have an electricity bill coming up at the end of the month. You know, don't forget right. about that. Um, right. you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to go and check, you know, my credit card balance and my banking balance and all these things. It should, you know, we, sh- we need to start thinking about, uh, delivering those services at the time when people are in need of that data. Yeah, so it's so it sounds like not so much that data visualization is um, not not needed, but that the current ways it's being delivered is maybe not needed. So Alexa that would have a visual display might be the next thing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to see, you know, what the weather is, you can see the wheat, you know, you can actually see the visuals of, uh, in addition to her telling it to you via sound. Right, right, exactly. Um, and I think there, you know, I think there's room for what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to think more about is, you know, not so much trying to force things into a visualization as, mm-hmm. to, as to say, okay, how can this data be serving people? Is it voice assistant? Is it visualization? Is it, um, is it something they don't even need to see, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so for instance, this is one that I've brought up before, but I think it's a good example. Uh, so Amber Alerts, right? Mm-hmm. So when a child's abducted and they send out an Amber Alert, the, the alert gets pushed via text message to your phones. I guess the idea is um, if I'm driving down the road, I get a text message, which I should not read, but I read it <laughs> anyway, of course. Of course. You know, and it's, <laughs> so it's an Amber Alert comes up with the make and model of the car and the license plate. So now I'm driving around on the freeway looking for a blue Kia with the license plate of, you know, 457FFF, you know, whatever. Um, Trying not to get into a car accident while I'm frantically looking around for this, you know, poor abducted child, which is like, (laughs) like a nice try, I think, like an interesting attempt. Um, But such a massive failure uh, in practice. Uh, so to me, it's like, well, that that problem is like, of course, that's, you know, as a mother, that's like, oh, my God, that's such a great thing to solve. We need to solve this. So it, it you know, caused me to, to think about it for a, a time. And, and, you know, I think, you know, we need to start thinking about how do we make technology do that work for us, right? That's... That is, you know, humans, one, are just fallible, period. Um, and then, and then two, trying to put people into a, a fast-moving car and, and make them do some task like that is like a right. disaster right. waiting to happen. Yeah. But, like, why not use the car itself that has, a, you know, backup camera that can be turned on? It can do pattern recognition. It right. can be looking for license plates, right? Yeah. I don't need to know anything about it. I don't need to know that there's an amber alert or anything, you know. Um, so thinking about how can data serve us um, in those different ways and what are the, you know, with so much technology out there and new ways of using it and new systems and new, you know, new technology in cars and our 
phones and crazy devices and sensors, you know, let's start thinking about, you know, sometimes there doesn't even need to be a human in the loop Mm -hmm. of of making these things happen. So, you know, it might be data viz, it might be voice assistant, it might be a data service that's, you know, works with sensors Mm -hmm. on my person that help um, deliver, you know, messages to me in various ways. Um, You know, there was an incident that I was thinking about recently where I almost ran out of gas on the freeway. (laughs) (laughs) An incident. An incident. An incident. incident. (laughs) When the orange light comes on, that's when it's time to get gas. Right. That is when it's time to get gas. But no, for I those of us, gonna... <laughs> for those of us who've grown up in cold weather climates, you fill up the tank when you get to half a tank. That's when you <laughs> fill up. That's the time to fill up. Half is low. Half is low. When you grow up that's... in a snow climate, you... okay. Go ahead. Yeah, that, now the light comes on. No, yeah. So that's good. I should I should listen to that one. <laughs> so, but so in my for my incident though the um, so I wait until my gas runs out because <laughs> because. Because, because then you have fresh gas, right? <laughs> the whole tank has fresh gas. Exactly. Okay, that's it's nice. I fresh, now understand clean. the logic. I've never understood it before. Now I get it. <laughs> the whole tank is fresh and it's clean. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Gosh, I, I can't you. believe I'm revealing this to the world. <laughs> uh, so, but the problem was uh, my my light came on, right? And I was I was within a half a mile of my favorite gas station, right? So I was just gonna hop on the freeway and hop off and get my gas. Well, I didn't realize there was a six car pile up on the freeway. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah uh so but it made me think in those moments of terror of running out of gas <laughs> yeah. right behind the six car pile up um, <laughs> was, um you know that why couldn't my car tell me you know it knew it knew where i was it knew it was low on gas it knows that i always try to go to that gas station it can make some inferences about like Huh, you know, it looks like you're kind of headed toward the freeway. <laughs> and I kind of know more about what's happening on the freeway than you do. So, you know, just a, like a heads up would have been nice. Like, hey, hey, Kim, like. See, it would have been nice. I think like a hundred <laughs> miles earlier had the car been like, look, the light's going to go on. But you don't need to wait until the light goes on. <laughs> no, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But still. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't know about your car, but in my car, there's a, there's a little gauge, and there's an F at the top, and there's a P at the bottom. Okay, you're taking the long view. No, I'm view. taking the long view. No, the ed- I, I know. education I route right, right. versus no, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So, let, so well, let's just take the sort of work that you guys do at Periscopic. The uh, project you did on the polar bears, the project you did on gun deaths, the project you did on, on salmon. I mean, those are sort of... Maybe that's sort of like thinking a little more like mainstream data viz, as it were. Like, should people who are doing that sort of work or, or just making, you know, charts for the reports, should they be trying to think about the new technologies and where, you know, maybe that's not what they're going to be doing, but how they want to sort of in 10, 5, 10, 15 years, how they want to communicate their regular charts and their dashboards? I think so. I think that uh, things like Alexa have a lot of utility um, that people may not be thinking about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so thinking, you know, and it's tough. It's, that is a tough, 
uh, translation to do from visual to voice. It's yeah. a completely different animal. Um, but I think people should really start thinking about what am I trying to convey? Um, you know, what kinds of things are people interested in? You know, like a lot of the election coverage, all of that stuff, you know, a lot of that could be voice, you know, mm-hmm. and you just ask Alexa what's, right? you know, I don't even want to <laughs> bring up some of the examples though. <laughs> but uh you know i think that you know polling obviously and that's on there um but i think that you know in, in any sort of realm that you're working in if it's something that people are looking at every day especially with dashboards those types of things are meant to be used every day yeah um, so yeah if you can say you know, hey, what's, uh, you know, if I'm getting ready for work and I just want to see, like, what are, what's trending today or what kind of anomalies are out there that I need to be prepared for as I right. go into work and things I can start thinking about. Um, absolutely. I think that we should be trying to help people because, you know, the users aren't going to come up with that themselves. Right. We need to sort of help bridge that gap as they're, as we're, um, you know, trying to help them with these data services. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can imagine like the Bloomberg terminal sort of thing where it's a little more voice activated as opposed to six screens where you're sort of trying to like parse it <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I also want to look forward a little bit and get your thoughts on critique in the field. Um, there's, you know, more and more projects, the Makeover Monday project that Andy Cotgreave and Andy Kriebel have done over the past year sort of got a lot of uh, attention. Uh, rightfully, you know, positive attention, I think rightfully so. And I'm, I'm wondering what you think about the sort of current state of, of critique and discussion in the field. Is it, do you think it's going down the right, right path? There's going to need to be sort of different things going on. Um, are we not talking about the right things? I mean, are we too stuck on like zero baselines and pie charts? It's like, just time to move, just move on already. Or, <laughs> um, yeah, wow, that's a, that's a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I like to, I like to narrow the questions into the biggest things. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes it easy on my guests, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think there's always room for the zero baselines and the pie charts and all that stuff. Um, you know, I think data literacy is something that as visualizers, we don't, really realize how bad it is sometimes because <laughs> we're, we're immersed in it and we know it and we are constantly improving on it and we sometimes forget that the general public doesn't have that much um, of an interface with right. it so so I always th- you know always those reminders I think are always good always remind ourselves too that there are always people newcomers to the field there are always students who are trying to figure this stuff out and the more we give them in that realm, the better. Um, the space of critiques, um, I know that's such a contentious space. I mean, it's tough. It's tough to get a critique, of course, or a makeover. I think that they are vastly necessary, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that they, one, doing a critique or a makeover of a visualization, first and foremost, for the person critiquing, they really have to think through the pieces of it, you know, Um, even if it's cursory, even if they don't take everything into consideration and obviously didn't weren't a part of the full project and they don't know who the client was or any of the constraints, um, just going through that thought process is immensely valuable to the critiquer. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we do uh, at Periscopic, we do a show and tell uh, every Monday where we bring in, um, you know, everybody's allowed to throw things into the hopper and we look at them. Uh, and so there are some examples of really great visualizations, some really bad ones, some in-betweens, and we just talk about what what's good and what's bad. Yeah. And it's a really, really valuable learning experience um, for everybody. You know, we have developers, designers, project managers, strategists, UX people, you know, every person comes at things with a different perspective. So the more you hear those different sides of the story, I think is, you know, all the better. Critiques, I think, sometimes get a bad rap. You weren't there from the start. You don't know what the constraints are. You don't know the time, right. you know, time or budget constraints or the, you know, layout or any, you know, the client was, you know, had demands or whatever. You know, there's all of those are, you know, those are valid reasons. But I don't think that we should say stop doing critiques or makeovers because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the things we get out of them are so valuable. It was uh, Jonathan Corum of the New York Times. He gave a talk at, oh gosh, I want to say it was at Visualized. And he left this portion out of his talk, but he left it in his slides. And it was actually a critique of our gun visualization. And when I read through his slides, it was like so thoughtful. Mm. And the ideas that he had were so interesting that we actually went back and tried them out. I had our developer go back and um, implement some of his ideas. And they were really beautiful. I don't think they quite had this gave the same message so we didn't actually publish it but it was a really beautiful way of looking at it and you know opened our eyes up to Mm -hmm. uh you know just a different way of thinking about things um so i think it's really valuable to have those out there especially for you know for students who are or people who are coming to the field fresh they can you know we got we have to give people um some credit and let them make their own decisions about like, do I like the original or do I like the makeover? Or do, would I combine different things? Right. You know, it gives people an, another way of looking at things and to show, you know, that all of these things, there are so many choices that go into a visualization that, you know, really you could have a million different solutions to the same problem. Yeah. So what I sort of find ahead. interesting about the whole thing about critique or makeovers is that they often tend to be on the final, the final piece and I think it'd be really interesting for people to be, I mean, so you have this little pro, you have this process within Periscopic where you are critiquing each other, but I'm sure there are places where there's one or two people who would benefit from critique on a thing that they are working on from the, from the, you know, have that conversation sort of wider. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess, uh, you know, you just don't see that as much, I guess, because people, um, I mean, aside from any like data security constraints or, you know, they just don't want to put something out that's not done. Right. Like, I think, you know, like your Help Me Viz blog was fantastic for that. I I love that idea. So maybe it's something like that where it's more of a, um, a draft. It's, yeah. Or maybe there's like a way to um, make a private version of that mm-hmm. where you're not exposing it to the yeah, world, but no. you're you have like a, a private way to mm-hmm. share this with other experts and say like, Hey, is this going down the right path? Right, and, right. You know, I, I think that we, we've worked that way with a few clients where, um, so for instance, there was a client we had that was trying to build out their, um, data capabilities in house. 
And so they would come to us and just sort of vet some of their ideas early on. So we worked as a consultant in that respect to give them, you know, guidance right. as guidance, to, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that's valuable. I think that, um, you know, I think people should definitely reach out uh, to yeah. others. And people are really willing to, um, to give feedback. But the field also has, like, definite snark. I mean, like, let's not fool ourselves. And I'm as guilty as this as anybody, but like, let's not fool ourselves that we tend to be like, what were you thinking? Ha ha ha. LOL. LOL. Emoji, emoji, emoji. (laughs) And then some poor person is crying in their office. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's true. I mean, I'm definitely guilty of that. I mean, it's the way. I own up to it. I mean, it's. There are times when you're like, really, that's... Well, yeah, I mean, so so there are times when it's blatant. Like, either yeah. blatantly trying to be misleading, um, or just blatantly, you know, there's something blatantly wrong, <laughs> either purposefully <laughs> or, or not. And so maybe some snark is okay, but um, <laughs> but I think, I think the fact that that snark sort of seeps into a lot of the conversation, I would guess, turns a lot of people off from being like, ooh, I have this thing, I'm not really sure... I'm on the right path. I'm going to put it on Twitter and see what people suggest. And I would, and I would <laughs> right. I would, I would not recommend putting it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use that as Don't your go-to yeah. um, guidance, uh, unless you have really thick skin. Right. Um, but I think that if you reach out to um, people professionally and just ask them, people are much yeah. less... I mean, it's certainly true. You know, it's much it's much easier to be snarky on yeah. Twitter. Or, yeah. you know. Well, it's certainly true in my case. I mean, one of the first projects that I did, I emailed to you. I right. mean, when I first started, I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna ask." And I said, "LOL, are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> A big donut chart. That's crazy with an emoji in the middle. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> No, okay. So that is probably true. That the snark sort of is toned way down when it's one on one as opposed to the world writ large. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think and people people are happy to help out generally unless they're very busy, in which case you shouldn't be you shouldn't take that people shouldn't take that personally, right, you know? Right. And just, you know, try someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, I think reaching out to other people getting started out too is often a good good way to go about it. I know that when we were starting out, we looked to our peers a lot to see, just sort of get a gut check. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. I want to talk about one more sort of future looking thing. We've talked about the future of the, of, of technology, I guess, and the, and sort of critiques and makeovers. Um, you guys uh, at Periscopic do a lot of work on sort of uh, socially conscious issues, the gun viz death that everybody knows, the, the polar bears and the salmon thing and, and the terrorism thing. Um, and I'm curious where you are standing right now, especially in a, in a time period we have a fairly contentious presidential election. We have, you know, situations around the world like in Aleppo and Syria that are serious and, and often sort of horrific and depressing. I'm sort of curious where you sort of stand right now on the relationship between visualizing data and the emotion that, that comes through in, in talking to people and maybe showing images. I'm just sort of curious where your thoughts are evolving or you have new thoughts on, on that sort of relationship between the two. Right, right. Um, I think, so, finding the, you know, the humanness, the humanity, the empathy for the data, 
uh, is something that is an undercurrent with us. It's always part of our our goal is to sort of, you know, reach some level of empathy. I think one of the, you know, one of my mantras is to, you know, to respect the atom of data. So whatever your individual piece of data, look at one row of your data. Is it a person? Is it an animal? Is it a, you know, whatever it is, um, respect that thing, respect that entity. And, you know, and sometimes look back before the data. You know, I think a lot of people just start with a spreadsheet or their database or whatnot and go from there. And it's just they start with numbers and it's really devoid of any sort of humanness. Uh, so some my mantra is always, you know, go back to that atom of data, go back to before that. Where did that data come from? Who are we talking about? What's behind this? And really respect that. Um you know, I think a lot of people sort of see, you know, they're, they're communicating numbers and therefore they should be as, you know, impartial as possible. Um, but to me, that's sort of missing the whole point of why you're visualizing anything in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sort of like the goal is to understand what it is you're communicating. And if you are putting it in a chart, then that essence should be in the chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're doing it with a story, you're going to use a, you know, you might use a photograph that's a photograph is full of emotion, right? right. You're not just going to, you know, take a photograph of a number. And put it there. <laughs> 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 we have to look at other ways that people are communicating mm-hmm. things. So like, I think that journalism is a great example where people are afraid to put emotion into their, their visualizations, their charts, because they're meant to be seen as this sort of impartial, um, objective reporting, mm-hmm. when in fact, every article you read, it's full of stories, personal stories, personal mm-hmm. accounts, people, images, photographs, you know, and somehow, why aren't they held to that same sort of rigor of like, well, let's take out every sort of hint of emotion or empathy. Right. So, so, but so practically you, you would say you have an article on your, you know, whatever you're in the newspaper, you write an article on Syria, you write an article on Aleppo. It has the interviews, has the pictures. You're arguing on the data viz side. There's a graph that the, that to practically sort of uh, input the emotion or the narrative into the graph would be what would it be, you know, a more emotive uh, title or annotation, or is it imagery on the graph? Like practically when people are thinking about how do I take my line chart of the unemployment rate with this report? Like, how do I make that? Like, how do I get people to connect with that more? Right. Maybe the unemployment rate is a bad example, but you, you right. know what it's right. Like, <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's not a chart about unemployment. Maybe right. it's something deeper and it's something mm-hmm. that's not, I, I think a lot of times we get stuck with what's in front of us in the data and we sometimes have to look at like, well, what isn't being yeah. said in this? You know, yeah. it's not just a chart of numbers of people who are unemployed. It's like, what, what does that actually mean? Does that mean more people are homeless? Does that mean more people can't um, afford to pay for, you know, food for their kids to eat? You know, like if there's more behind it than just a number of people unemployed, yeah. which is sort of like, if there's if there's no emotion in it, then there's no emotion in it to be mm-hmm. had. But if there's no emotion in something that you clearly know is emotional, then <laughs> then I think you need to dig a little deeper yeah. to find what you know why we should care about the unemployment rate. Right. You know. Right. 
I mean, I may think being unemployed would be freaking awesome because I could just sit around and do nothing, you know, that'd be fantastic. But I don't think that's quite what they're trying to get at. (laughs) Um, Yeah, probably not. But, you know, (laughs) I think you're thinking more of a vacation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which has its own sort of emotion with it. But yeah, I, 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 no, I, I see what you're saying that people, they are looking at the topic of what they're writing about or what they're showing, but not scratching below that, that surface. Right. Here's a really good example. So for, we recently did a project about salmon, right? And they, this client came to us with tons of charts that they had already done, right? And we went through them and there was one that was just like, what? It, what is this? Why is this a chart? What what does it mean? It just like vexed me to no end. It was about when. Oh God! So it was like okay, these are scientists. So bear with me. Um, <laughs> so it was, Prepare yourselves, uh, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, charting a what they. I forget what they call it. It was like a sort of a, a uh, one type of fish that was. Um, uh, like the popular fish, if you will. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, the popular fish. So popular. I have an image of a middle school cafeteria right now. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> he wears a leather jacket. Right, 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 right. Got that cool hairdo. Cool hairdo. Um, He's got his jeans are cuffed and pinned together. Exactly. I'm date myself a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right, the cool um, fish. Got him. The cool, right? cool fish. Um, so, uh, so they were charting this um, fish, and when, like, the time of year that this fish was swimming back to its spawning ground in this river, um, the the whole visualization was based on this one river, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the popular fish and here's when it's swimming back to its, so you can imagine sort of this normal distribution of when, you know, around, you know, July 1st or whatever gotcha. of, of this fish swimming yep. back to its spawning ground, right? So this is a popular fish. Now being the popular fish, it's also the most fished fish. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the fisher people come out and, and fish for this fish. Um, so the problem is now that's fine because this popular fish is popular because there's a lot of this fish, mm-hmm. right? And and they do what's called enhancing the population, which is fish farmers add more of this fish to the stock, right? Okay. So it's it's a farmed fish basically. Uh, very popular. People like to fish for it. So it basically, by charting when this fish is swimming, it's sort of a proxy for when people come and fish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where they come to fish on this river. And so, the, but the problem is there are tons of other salmon that also have to swim through this river uh, and lots of little like subspecies of salmon have to swim through this river during this fishing season. And so the problem is that you have some populations of these fish that have only 500 fish left mm-hmm. or, or 293 fish left, you know, like really, really tiny populations, right? So when they came to us, they had showed us a chart of just overlapping when these different fish were migrating, mm-hmm. right? So when you look at when the fish are migrating, you're like, oh, you know. That's okay. This one fish is sort of like on the tail end of this other popular fish. So right. whatever, it's, it's all good. But 
what they didn't show in the chart was the actual numbers of these fish, yeah. right? So the popular fish is like, I don't know, 14 million or something. And then some of these other populations of like 293. Right. They're barely, you can, they're just a little tiny blip along the bottom of this chart. And when you put those, the actual numbers together, along with the timing, you can very quickly see, oh, this fish yeah. could become extinct in one fishing season, right. Right? right? So it's a matter of taking, like, what is the goal? What, I'm trying, what am I trying to say? And this may be vastly important, you know, saving a species of fish. Like, how do I say that in an image? You know, and sometimes it's not the data that you're looking at that's mm -hmm. just coming straight out of your database. Sometimes you have to think about, how can I get this across to somebody? How can I show this? And that image that we made was simply like a bar chart side by side. Mm -hmm. But once you see it, you're like, oh, my God. Right. This, you know, it just, it's not like you don't have to put a dead fish up there to make it yeah, emotional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. like just the seeing numbers, the numbers. The numbers, sometimes. yeah. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. You, you kind of touched on two things there. One is a sort of the idea of digging deeper and finding the story behind the story. But you also sort of mentioned there are two charts. And I often feel like people forget that it doesn't always have to be packed into like one chart that two charts often work best because you get, you know, you get the story that you just told where you get these, you get these two aspects of things. You get the right. level and the change or whatever it is. But, um, right. Yeah. It's always, you know, you have to go through the work of doing it. I mean, I think people sometimes forget like how many iterations of things it takes to get the, idea. Sean Carter gave a talk a long time ago about one of the New York Times visualizations, and I forget what one it was, but it was, I think it was like many roads to the White House or something. And he showed all of the iterations that they had pushed to GitHub. And it was literally like the first three iterations were vastly different. But once they got to the third one, and it was sort of like the golden nugget, then like the rest the litany of iterations, which is like tiny Just, little play with yeah. this, play with that, try, try different things within right. that same, those constraints. And I think that people forget like, oh, once you have the idea, you're not even close to being yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. And now you have to do the actual work of figuring out what does convey that information in the right way, right. in the most in impactful way. Right. Good. Well, on that note of being impactful, <laughs> pulling it all together. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. This has been, uh, as always, it's been fun chatting. As always, John, I wish we could do it more. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thank you for chatting with me and thanks to all of you for tuning in to this week's episode. So until next time, this has been the Policy of This podcast. Thanks again for listening.